Welcome to the Let's Talk Government podcast, a podcast that is provided for you by the Department of Government at Minnesota State University, Mankato, located in Minnesota in the United States. I am your host, Dr. Pat Nelson, the chairperson of the Government Department. I want to thank you for joining us as we explore different topics about government. Some may be surprising to you and some may not, so please enjoy. All right, welcome to episode one of Let's Talk Government podcast. Today we are going to talk about the current and controversial topics of defund the police, abolish the police, and policing today. I am joined by three faculty members from the Minnesota State University Mankato Law Enforcement Program, and more importantly, all three faculty members have a variety of professional experience as law enforcement officers. Associate Professor Dr. Carl Lafada has been a member of the program for six years and has professional experience with the Michigan State Police and local agencies in California. Assistant Professor Dr. Thor Dolly has been a member of the program for five years and has professional experience with the Fargo Police Department in North Dakota and also with a local agency in Washington State. Assistant Professor Dr. John Reed is in his second year with the program and has professional experience with the Louisville Metro Police and other agencies in Kentucky. Thank you for joining me today, so let's start. Who wants to get started? What does defund the police mean and why is it something we should consider? I, I think it's mostly a misunderstood topic. You know, it's not, there's two different issues, abolish the police or defund the police and defunding typically means removing funding from the police and redirecting those funds someplace else, typically to, towards social or educational programs that are hopefully designed to divert people from the criminal justice system and solve the problem before the police are involved. And also to take on responsibilities that have probably mistakenly been given to the police over the last several decades. Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, Dr. Dolly's right on point there. Uh, a lot of what the defunding is about is to actually divert a lot of the funding from the police to other uh, entities, such as uh, those dealing with education, housing, poverty, uh, et cetera, uh, and to push that money around uh, to make it a more level playing field um, where uh, abolishing the police is going to be something entirely different. Uh, and I think the, the groups that are actually uh, advocating uh, uh, abolishment are the ones that are trying to do away with the police completely. Uh, and while there's probably positives and negatives related to both of those different issues, I think there's a lot more negatives that are going to be involved with the actual abolishment of police. Always got to be a dog interrupting somewhere. I know mine would be too. Dr. Lafada, what do you think? Um, I think that uh, the defund police has been a political hot potato. I think that on the very far left of the political spectrum, it's been used as a rallying cry to uh, you know, essentially drift into that abolishment. And on the conservative side, it's been used to manipulate the fear of voters, uh, a fear essentially of uh, a, a lawless society. And so it is, you know, again, being used as a tool to manipulate. And the reality of it is defunding is essentially, as, as Dr. Dolly had stated, a removal of 
funding from law enforcement to agencies that are better suited to handle certain issues like uh, nonviolent uh, mental health response uh, or calls involving uh, nonviolent subjects undergoing some sort of mental health crisis or uh, substance abuse issues, you know, anything that doesn't involve a criminal aspect or, uh, you know, a, a uh, uh, or something that involves a mental health aspect, something uh, that, that wouldn't fall under the purview of law enforcement. And then taking, again, those funds from those, those uh, law enforcement agencies and redirecting them to uh, support those new, uh, those new uh, organizations or pre-existing organizations if they are already in service. And, uh, you know, again, removing the funds, but at the same time, removing those responsibilities. And it falls in line not only with, you know, I think common sense, but also the idea that uh, police officers want to get back to the business of doing law enforcement. And if they wanted to do social work uh, types of activities as their primary duty, then they would have become social workers. Uh, and Pat, I think, you know, it, it's really, uh, if you look back through history, uh, not uh, recent history anyway, um, a lot of these extra duties that have been given to the police really haven't been their choice to get those. Uh, it's a lot of these different things that come up because the police are a 24-7 organization and they're always there. Uh, a lot of these duties have been passed off to the police that really aren't police duties. Um, and I'm not saying that helping the mentally ill is not one of the duties of, of police service, but there are certainly more people that are, have expertise in that area. And just to give you an example, based on uh, this COVID that's out now, one of the issues, and I think uh, most of us believe it to be a public health issue, uh, but as some of these jurisdictions actually come out with different ordinances and laws pertaining to, for example, the wearing of masks, you get to the point that once those laws are enacted, who's going to enforce uh, the people wearing the mask? And I know in a lot of jurisdictions, that's actually been passed off to the police because health organizations just don't have the personnel to deal with that. And we look at that as law enforcement and we say, hey, is that really uh, our job or is it really a duty that's best uh, served by us uh, conducting it? Okay. Okay. I was going to say, if, if you look at, you know, an ordinance is passed, it needs to be enforced, then law enforcement certainly uh, isn't appropriate. Um, you know, executive branch organization. Um, but conversely, there are other things that, that law enforcement is, you know, not expected to do. I know Berkeley, California is looking at experimenting with having civilian non-sworn enforced traffic law. And the problem with that is, you know, what if you find somebody with a warrant, a suspended license uh, that needs to go to jail, resists arrest, does something that requires a law enforcement response? Con you know, conversely, if you have somebody who, you know, the local community says, we shall enact this as an ordinance, then it must fall to law enforcement because no other organization within that government is empowered to issue a citation, make arrests, whatever the penalty that is. So by default, once that statute or ordinance or whatever is put into place, it falls to law enforcement, much the same way as, uh, you know, uh, 
Jim Crow laws back in the day fell to law enforcement. Prior to that, you know, police officers were responsible for enforcing health and safety and food safety in uh, the beginning in the late 1800s. And so anything that is essentially codified into law or ordinance must by uh, its, its um, nature fall to law enforcement. Well, I wanted to go back to something John said that is actually a very good point is many times law enforcement has done this to ourselves. We've made ourselves be available 24 seven, right? We push the call 911 if you need anything. So we have created a culture of if you need something, you need to call 911 and the police will come. But as we look at that intersection between always being available and then we have had changes in society where people are less connected with their neighbors and their family. And we have more people that need mental health or crisis intervention services. How can we look at defunding the police and yet still provide to the community the expectation that if somebody's in crisis 24 hours a day, somebody will always be able to respond? What are your thoughts about that? Are we gonna be able to call out a social worker at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m.? if we have a nonviolent person that's involved in a crisis, and do we always know if they're nonviolent? Thoughts? First of all, the, the whole idea of can we do it is already being done across the country in Eugene, Oregon, Denver, Colorado. There are programs that are designed to do just what you're talking about. And they've been in business, the Eugene, Oregon uh, CAHOOTS program has been around for many years and wildly successful, saves millions of dollars uh, in the community every year and uh, is, is basically served as an example uh, for, for other organizations that are trying to form in, in other areas. And so it can be done. Uh, whether or not you can predict somebody's going to be violent or nonviolent, that's a, a point for the people who are trained uh, in those organizations and they know when to call police and when not. And the thing is, is with law enforcement, you know, we have had this thrust upon us because of the defunding of the mental health system. Um, it's never something we were intended to be. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, people with years and years of training in psychology and uh, social work and things of that nature that can do a much better job than someone who is trained over the course of eight or 10 or 15 or 22 weeks to be a peace officer. And very, very little of that training, whether initially or in service is spent in any sort of de-escalation, deal with mental health. It's there, but it's minuscule compared to what the subject matter experts in the field uh, are able to do based on their training. And so as opposed to having jacks of all trades, masters of none, you know, the idea of defunding the police is essentially not defunding them and taking away their patrol cars and their paychecks. It's all about essentially redirecting resources from an agency that was never intended, nor is it trained to do this particular duty and giving it to an organization uh, that, that certainly is and can do a much better job. And they know when to call the police. And I think uh, Dr. Lafada is right on point here with this from the standpoint that when I, I was director of training for a while and we saw more and more groups uh, of uh, what I'll say are special interest groups, people dealing with those with autism or Alzheimer's or dementia or diabetes and, and the list just goes on and on. And they always wanted to come in and help uh, take a week to train officers. Uh, and, and sooner or later, uh, as, as a law enforcement officials, you had to make a decision on what you were going to include in your curriculum because you could have had a school uh, for training that went on two or three years. And you're looking at trying to weigh this out evenly from the standpoint that you're already short 50 officers 
60 officers and you need to get them out on the street. So there has to be a decision there where you're, you're cutting out important groups, but, but that help would be very beneficial from other groups to help. I think the struggle is that, um, you know, the American policing system is a really fragmented system with almost 18,000 agencies, over half of which have 10 or fewer officers. And so you're, in some jurisdictions, providing those services won't be that difficult. You have larger populations where you might, those services might exist, but in some rural jurisdictions, some small jurisdictions, those, those just don't exist. So filling those holes is, is the real challenge, I think, is, is providing services where they didn't exist before. Really, I, I think defunding is, is really just a spark. The defunding conversation is a spark to change how some of these systems are funded. Um, and naturally, one of the places you might take that money and redirect it is from law enforcement, but it's really a fundamental change in how we fund some of these systems. And that doesn't always mean that money has to come directly from law enforcement, but it, the positive thing is providing more focus and attention to these that have been long neglected, uh, social uh, support systems, mental health support systems, systems that help people deal with addiction and co-occurring disorders. And, and that's in some places where, where funding is, is adequate and uh, resources are good, that's not such a difficult uh, change to make, but in other places, in many of these inner city agencies where they have very little to begin with, that's a much more difficult uh, conversation. And I would say that you would find more of the lack of resources, uh, a lack of availability of mental health uh, treatment providers, beds, things of that nature in the rural communities, because what we're seeing now is many of the issues that we used to in the 80s, for example, in 90s, uh, attribute to the quote unquote inner cities like substance abuse and property crime and, and overdoses and things of that nature are now befalling rural America in greater numbers. And so when you're looking at, you know, where do we take uh, from to fund these things, because obviously uh, resources are finite, tax bases are limited. Um, you know, we look at the agency to whom those duties currently fall, and law enforcement is indeed it, because why? Well, as we defunded the mental health system in the 1960s, 70s, 80s uh, through today, um, what we have now is a situation, whether it because of substance abuse, mental illness, comorbidity between substance abuse disorder and mental illness, where people that are suffering from these various disorders or conditions uh, are able to deteriorate, their conditions are able to deteriorate to the point where they do something that's disturbing and scary and people's first reaction is called 911. And so law enforcement goes out and many times, you know, use of force or uh, some sort of violent uh, act needs to be dealt with. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're essentially stuck in a situation that's already spiraled out of control to the point, again, where somebody's called 911. Yeah, and I think, too, uh, I mean, over the years, there's always been a, a, a hope or a wish that uh, everybody could work together and, you know, education for poverty, for housing, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the bottom line here is there are so many entities to get together who themselves have limited budgets. Uh, and with policing, I think almost every budget in the country uh, has been reduced over the past 10 years. 
Um, you know, I don't know if there's ever going to be enough money to, to deal with these issues effectively, especially not getting the money from law enforcement. Well, and I think the financial piece of it is critical as well, because when you're asking for, say, we don't defund the police and use that money, uh, and I, again, I'm not talking about a total defundment, but, but basically defunding the police partially and using that money to uh, to fund social service organizations. If we don't do that, let's say, and we continue operating the way we always have been, then it would require a higher level of training, a higher level of uh, experience, uh, more mature peace officers in some cases, because you've all probably seen peace officers not behave the best when dealing with mentally ill subjects or people that tend to be a little bit more difficult to deal with because of their substance abuse issues or because of their mental health disorders. Um, but the problem is in this country, we are not willing, nor in many cases, more importantly, are we able to pay for the higher level of training, education, et cetera, that is required of peace officers in other industrialized nations. When you look at Japan, Germany, and even the UK, uh, what we require of our peace officers pales in comparison. And in many states, my own home state of Michigan included, you could be 21 years of age with a GED. It doesn't mean you're a bad person, but I remember myself at 21 years of age, you know, being a, a peace officer and, uh, uh, you know, looking back, uh, looking back at some of my younger colleagues, um, by the grace of God, we didn't get into any, any trouble. So, um, you know, how do we go, how do we get around that? I don't have an answer for you. Well, I think this actually brings us into a kind of a good segue. So this defunding the police has been a conversation in the past, but since May of this year, it really has come to the forefront, especially with the city of Minneapolis talking about defunding their police department. So besides dealing with crisis intervention and mental health, what other topics have you heard come up about defunding the police? Um, I'll throw out an example about the school resource officers, cutting contracts and not having police in the schools. What other types of things have you seen in relation to defunding the police that might impact policing today? So Amy, I'm sorry, just to clarify the question is, to what other areas would money be directed out other than mental health? Is that what the question Yeah, is? that's the kind of what I'm looking at. What other ones are you hearing or seeing or think would be good candidates? that would be on the discussion? Well, I think one of the one of the ones I've heard the most and I think that it makes the most sense is educational equity that um, we we don't, I think a lot of people feel as though schools are schools and every school is the same, but schools are locally funded and that means that they're largely dependent on the funds that that local entity has. It, it's kind of an odd situation in this country, I think, that we fund education that way. We don't fund many other programs that way. They're funded on a much larger basis. Um, national defense doesn't protect one state more than another and, and less than another one, but we, we have a, a lot of inequity in education, which is like a fundamental foundational block that is going to set the trajectory for young people. And, and right now, equity doesn't exist. So we shouldn't be su surprised when uh, young people struggle to either go on to higher education or be adequately prepared for occupations that are going to pay them a living wage. And so I think that the positive part of this defunding conversation, well, there's many positives, but one of them is, is redirecting to try and solve problems before they are a problem. Trying to fix a problem when somebody's 18 or 22 years old 
it's, it's generally a little bit too late. And that money is much, you know, your return on your investment is much higher when you do that at those earlier ages. If children don't learn to, to read by the time they're 10, it's not going to very, it's going to be very difficult to fix that problem later. Well, and I also think too, just based on my experience as a Michigan State Police Trooper, having grown up in the Metro Detroit area, um, interestingly, uh, my educational experience was was extremely um, inadequate. And when I graduated high school and decided I was going to join uh, the military via ROTC, um, I actually attended my community college and found I had to take over 20 credits of remedial coursework because I wasn't able prepared, even though I was a high school graduate, wasn't able or prepared to take regular coursework. In fact, when I took the GRE to go to grad school, I had to teach myself geometry because I never had it. So you take an agency like the Michigan State Police, which is funded every year uh, by, by a budget, the state budget, um, there is no like direct funding source. So for example, the California Highway Patrol is funded through driver's license and other fees. The Michigan State Police has this Dickensian practice where we're, you know, holding our, our bowls out to the legislature and asking for a little bit more each year. And I can tell you that my last five pay raises with the Michigan State Police were essentially zeros. And we were just happy that they weren't taking our medical benefits. And that was as we were pulling out of the recession. And so if there's no money for basic law enforcement, we can talk defund all we want, but there is no money to pay for or to take from to pay for the other. Um, and so, you know, places like Detroit, uh, which have been uh, inadequate in terms of their educational funding uh, will continue to be so, uh, especially in a climate in a state like Detroit where they're perpetually suffering from budget shortfalls. City of Detroit, state of Michigan, sorry. <laughs> yeah, and I think Dr. Daly and Dr. LaFada are, are right on point here. Uh, Dr. Daly mentioned education, but some of the other things that I'm really uh, where I think there's a lot of inequities dealing with uh, housing, uh, social issues uh, like jobs, uh, training for jobs and those types of things, uh, suicide attempts, um, you know, to help people mentally, uh, it gets back to the mental illness a lot or people that aren't on medicine that need to be uh, because they can't afford it, um, you know, uh, those types of things, uh, overdoses. In fact, I think there's tremendous inequity when it deals with that and you're looking at uh, who are the people who are actually involved in the drugs or overdosing from them. So those are some of the things that I uh, have, have either read a couple things on or have heard. All right, so let me flip this around a little bit. We think that there's some good things to defunding the police that could be explored if done well, right? And we all have professional experience. So what do you think would be the downside or what are some downsides to the current defunding the police talking? talk? My primary concern is having solutions in place before you do that. I mean, we've already talked about how um, the police are there answering these calls now. And to, you know, if you eliminate that without having something to replace it, there's some risk to that. And I think some of the conversations that have been out there are you know, oftentimes are just too superficial. Like this, abolishing defunding, I guess there's a little bit of a blurred line here with the Camden example, but they, they talk about Camden, New Jersey is a example of what happened when they, a success story from abolishing the agency and then starting over. But the reality was that was a really bumpy ride. That, that was, done to break uh, 
uh, the union and and uh, and restructure the agency, but not in the way people often think. It took years to redirect that to a a less um, uh, an agency that wasn't so focused on broken windows theory and making arrests and zero tolerance policing to to what it is now. So I think that if you people are looking oftentimes look for solutions that are to simple solutions to complex problems and just simply taking the money away without putting other support systems in place doesn't is dangerous. I, I agree with that. I think part of the issue with this is organizationally, you, you're going to have to basically have uh, a, a centralized point that's going to direct uh, all these different bureaucratic government organizations uh, in the direction, um, you know, where they want to go, where we want everybody to go. Uh, you have, uh, if you're using as example, education, uh, you know, police have different policies and rules than do people in education. And, and there has to be some commonality uh, in what we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish and making sure all these different people uh, are working together to try to accomplish the, what's the issues at hand. Well, I can see uh, downside number one being obviously a morale issue within the police department. And I can tell you from uh, my uh, personal experience, again, as a Michigan State Police Trooper, I came into the department in the late 90s when things were actually pretty decent for the agency financially. And then over the course of the 2000s into the recession of 2008, uh, we suffered exponentially because, again, of the, the way our funding worked. And so um, we had, you know, situations where I was the only trooper sent to armed robbery calls, hold up alarms. Um, and when I got from Michigan to California in 2012, uh, it was, um, I was amazed, you know, that I actually had a backup officer, someone to speak with at night, and they were upset because their budgets were cut to the point where they only had three people in a sector, uh, you know, and I was like, you have no idea how good this is. Um, and so the morale in the Michigan State Police was, was really bad for a long time as a result of issues that were essentially like defunding. The governor wanted to take money from the Michigan State Police and move it to other organizations. And if the Michigan Sheriff's Association would have had their ducks in a row, uh, they would have eliminated a lot of our function, turned us into what is essentially the state patrol here in Minnesota, and given our investigative arm uh, and funding to the sheriffs. Uh, of Michigan's 83 counties. And so that didn't happen because there was too much infighting. But the point is, as I witnessed firsthand the morale, as well as the tactical considerations, officer safety considerations that came with uh, defunding without any sort of plan in place. Okay, so for our last just couple of minutes here, um, we've kind of touched on abolish the police where there's an actual movement that we no longer need law enforcement agencies in the United States. So I'd like to hear your personal opinions on that um, and why or why you don't think it would be a functional ideal. So abolish the police, get rid of law enforcement altogether in the United States. There's, there's very few people that are arguing that. I mean, even our organizations that sometimes have traditionally have conflicted with law enforcement like the ACLU don't, aren't suggesting an elimination of the police. It's a rec more of a recognition that 
um, it is, isn't what a lot of people think policing is where they point out 90 to 95% of police calls don't have anything to do with violent crime, much less serious issues and many times very simple issues that could be handled by other agencies. And, and, and even surveys of, of uh, black residents in many areas suggest the same thing, that maybe that there's a desire to change funding. Uh, there was a, a survey in July that said 70% of black Americans supported reducing police budgets but less than a quarter supported eliminating them. So it's the idea of abolishing, I don't, I think is generally just inflammatory because it's just simply not a realistic option. Well, really anywhere. I think despite its many, many flaws, the, the field of law enforcement uh, is so good at its job. In other words, over the course of history, we have done such a good job, despite you know the, the hiccups here and there and, and some serious and not so serious mistakes, uh, that the public has the luxury of saying, well, why don't we just get rid of them? Why don't we, we, we don't need law enforcement because we have done a masterful job of keeping the very good from the very bad. This is the same mentality that people have and they say, why don't you just shoot to wound them or fire a warning shot? They don't understand. Uh, because again, we have insulated people. And so um, I think, you know, obviously there's that fringe that says, ah, abolish the police, we don't need them. Um, but I think ultimately what people really want is not, to, not so much defund, not so much abolish, but make better, make the standards higher. Uh, they want a police officer that, that acts professionally, that, that uh, has a level of expertise uh, that is commensurate with the authority that they're given. And uh, sometimes that's, that's hard to come by because it's, it's financially uh, not possible. But I think in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of paying for higher educated peace officers and things of that nature, but ultimately you're going to find uh, it very rare, I think, that people want to uh, abolish completely the police simply because, you know, they, they have no idea what uh, is out there and they don't care to find out. And I agree. I, I think you heard a lot more uh, after uh, the incident involving George Floyd about abolishing the police, but I tend to think some of that may have been um, on the part of some people, uh, a knee-jerk reaction, if you will. Uh, to just let's get rid of the police period. Uh, and I, I think more of a push has occurred uh, since then uh, of getting into this defunding and redirecting some of the monies. So I, I think uh, cooler heads have prevailed uh, in that regard. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, I know we have a lot more that we'll be discussing in the future but I liked hearing your perceptions on defunding police and abolish the police. And, you know, we hear both of those terms together quite a bit, but I think you helped provide some clarity for that. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having you. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Government. If you have suggestions for future episode topics or other areas you'd like us to cover, please visit our website at link.mnsu.edu backslash let's talk gov to submit your ideas. Join us every Tuesday for a new episode and thank you for listening. <laughs>